Hello, everybody. Be right there. Good morning. I'll be right there. Good. 
Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so we are on page five. And we're, we're trying to appreciate the metaphor of the Haftarah to the Jewish people coming into Mitzrayim, the metaphor of a seed that's planted into the ground to facilitate possible growth, potential growth in much more exponential terms. That's facilitated specifically by the, uh, by the planting of a seed that in and of itself seems to have no taste. You cannot see the fruit that will be a result of the seed when it comes to into the ground is it activate a potential of fertility, of growth, of procreation. It's only there, it only happens public selflessness of the seed being put into the ground. Am I, am I being heard okay? Am I good? Right? Okay. Yeah. Tov Ma'od. Tov Ma'od. Good morning. Okay. So we discussed yesterday about HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to have a Dira Batachton. He wants a home, not only in the heavens above, but he specifically created a world where there's higher realities and lower realities. And the ultimate goal and purpose of it all, by everything else, is just a means toward that end, is as the Medrash says, Dira Batachton, a home for Hashem in Tachton. These are not geographical spaces. These are spiritual spaces. So a Tachton is a place that it's very earthly. It calls attention to itself and not to its very creator that sustains its very existence. So there's a sense of ego, a sense of arrogance, a sense of independence. It's precisely within that level of independence does God want that to be a conduit for God's most quintessential truth and reality of his essence here in that lower world? A world that actually becomes an expression of God, not of any just revelation from God, spiritual splendor, more than that. The essence of God that he is and he only exists. As we said yesterday, I have no other reality in my identity. I'm not created. I'm not really here, but to be here in the service of my master. That's the expression of Kabbalah soul, the yoke of heaven, whereby we understand and appreciate the mitzvahs that we observe can be done in a way that's asking God to come into our reality, to come into our home, into our person, into our being. And any expression of self forms some kind of a barrier to the beauty of God's essence. If some of that is still about me in some way, then there's a part of me that's me and not God. It's only complete submission and subservience that he named me. I'm here for God. I'm here for no other reason, but as the sages conclude the term, the shamish has called me to serve my master. Then my reality becomes a place where God completely is comfortable in earthliness and humanity in the conditions of our very physical beings. And that's the ultimate goal. When, when, when God told us to build the first tabernacle, the Mishkan, the temple in the desert yet, he set the tone for not just that temple, but the future temples and the purpose of creation. He said, make for me a tabernacle, a sanctuary. I want to dwell. The Pesach concludes, doesn't say I want to dwell in the tabernacle, in the temple building, 
in that edifice, it says in the verse, the Sochan. So the sages teach us the Sochan is plural term in the so-called Echad Echad. Within the context of every individual person, he is meant to be a conduit for the Shechina, a home for Kaddish Baruch Hu, that God wants to be and live in a world whereby this becomes his home, as he really is, and it really is his home, but he wants human beings to partner with him to allow his reality of physical context and the amateurs of existence to be hospitable to God's presence. So he has to invite God in. He doesn't want to impose the conversation. He wants to be invited in by our choices, but it's going to be complete, a complete invitation where it becomes nothing about me. It's all about the creator. Then that's God's home. He's completely uninhibited with any level of friction, of tension that represents you in some way that's not godliness, it's not holy, it's about you. So complete submissiveness is what this mime is about. The Akev, the Yashresh Yaakov, the seed that goes into the ground and to a degree disintegration, not a sad disintegration or a depressive disintegration. It's about transforming self into godliness into being an ambassador, a conduit for divine presence in our lives. So everything about us represents the purpose of creation being fulfilled, the Shameshes Koni, the Shechanti B'Socham, every person. Nobody is outside the purview of this opportunity, this privilege that your life, your being, your person, your very, everything about you is a conduit for divine presence. The power of the Neshama, the Jewish person, that could be this Yaakov, this Akim, that, that dedication, that selfless dedication. When God gave the Torah to the Jewish people, he says, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I'm the Lord, your God. Elokecha is singular term, not Elokechem. We're not just talking to the Jewish people collectively. Each individual person at Sinai had a boxy. Elokecha, you, is speaking directly to you, that I, who I am, the essence of God, wants to be Elokecha within the context of your faculties of your life. Elokecha, you, who you are, exactly who you are exactly who you are to be in a representation, a representative of God's divine essence. That's the purpose. There are no reservations, a complete level of expression of God himself. And the Rebbe said yesterday, we learned that that's why uh, when we do a mitzvah, the first preparatory step to do the mitzvah is to remember when you're going to say the bracha, v'tzivanu. I'm instructed to do this. This is who I am. I am here in God's service. Then God moves in and he's not squatter. He's actually here in a, in a full, in the full perfect way, whereby it is about godliness. It's less about myself. It's more about Hashem in an, abs- in an absolute way. Th- this, my friends, is what we're hoping for with the coming of Mashiach and building a temple. For today is Asara Beteves, the tenth day of Teves, which represents the time ago when the city of Jerusalem was seized by the Babylonians many years ago. But it represents the same concept that there's a corruption a breaking in the breaches of the walls of Jerusalem, whereby other cultures and foreign ideas are trying to break that reality of God's presence within the Jewish people, the beauty of the temple represented that B'Shachanti B'Socham, dwelling in each, not the temple itself, but each person as a temple, as a miniature temple as well. And that's, if you think about it, we talk about the effort to do that as Haboim Yashresh Yaakov. Let me share some thoughts about that. He said that Haboyim, those are coming into uh, into the into the Mitzrayim, the, they're coming as Yaakov. And that's a very important statement. I want, I want to share the following. 
few weeks ago, we read in the Torah about Yaakov and Esau having their very faithful meeting with each other. And they come in Esau, all of a sudden is kind of amenable to Yaakov. And he says, let's, let's join together. Let's, let's go together. Chassidus says something fascinating. Says Chassidus that Esau really wanted Mashiach to come then and there. Mashiach, he, he wanted there to be the conversation together with Jacob's divine energy. What he represents in spirituality, Esau also represents a spiritual energy. To a degree, actually, Chassidus explains, of a more intense, powerful power of spirituality, even more than Jacob's limited expression of Judaism. And I'll explain that. We discussed about this prior as well, this toho and tikkun, this chaotic energy, powerful, inspirational, charismatic energy that overwhelms. And Esau came from that perspective. There's a reason Isaac wanted to bless Esau. He wanted to bless because he comes from that power, power of charisma, power of persuasion, power of of uh, the energy that Esau in the heavens above represents holy charisma, holy power, holy identities. He's telling Yaakov, let's go together. After they have the faithful meeting, Esau tells Yaakov, come with me, come with me. We'll build the base of Mikdash. But that's going to be Esau's base of Mikdash. One that's imposed, where he's a God's going to be a squatter. There could be a context of Esau being charismatic, powerful energy, but that's not Yaakov's base in Mikdash. Yaakov's base in Mikdash is the one that Yaakov tells Esau, I got to take my time. I need for me to teach my children and grandchildren and the Jewish people, they have to work within the context of their human faculties and make themselves fully consistent with the idea of a Mashiach, of God's presence in my mind. That takes effort. That takes selflessness. That doesn't come from a charismatic Mashiach. That comes from people who are inspired not from somebody else, but from within, by selfless dedication. And so Yaakov, you look into the verses in the Torah, in that parsha by Yishla, you'll see Yaakov saying that, I have my children, I have my assets, we need to go based upon the pace of my constituents, my clients, my children, my grandchildren. We have to work on this. Because Asa can come and try to push Mashiach on us, but that's not the point of, God moving in and fully comfortable and hospitably accepted by the context of the human condition. Hashem wants us to partner with him in selflessness that we see within our own context of existence. We invite Hashem in. He's not imposing himself upon us. That's the type of Mashiach that Yaakov wants to bring, that we wait for. And we have to wait until Mashiach will have to come, which will represent the culmination of the efforts of the millennia of working within the context of human faculties to invite Mashiach, to invite Godliness, that that becomes part of our conversation, our dialogue. Mr. Shem, may that be very, very soon. So that's the Alvoy. We work on ourselves to see ourselves as being ready not to be inspired. Because you know something? If the Mashiach will come and he's going to inspire by charisma and impose, well, then the moment that that inspiration is lost, then there goes Mashiach. There goes the temple. We lose it again. The point of the third temple represents the ability to acclimate within human property, the invitation from below to God to come join. And that's only expressed with, humi with humility and selflessness, that we see ourselves as conduits for divine presence. And that's the avoid in everything that we do to see that it's an expression of God in my life by my choice, my free choice to be selfless so that it's more about Hashem, less about myself. That's Yaakov's Mashiach. And that's, what, and that's why Isaac wanted to bless Esau. 
because Isaac wanted to be Mashiach also. Let's just get this done. Let's make this all happen. Let's have it all be. But Rivka, she says that's not how it's supposed to be. Rivka, she, she, said, she says about her husband, not everybody's holding by your level, but we can be always so inspired that Mashiach is going to come and therefore inspire everybody and stay that way. So Rivka had an intuition that said that can't work out this way. Yaakov has to get those, those blessings. And once you know, the, the, the Babacher read his wife, the Rabbitson, she also said that about her husband. She once said that he thinks that everybody is like him, that they have that same desire for Mashiach with that same level of intensity that he has. And so he, she said, I'm not sure how much he appreciates the fact that people aren't exactly like he is. He's seen the world from his lens. The truth is the Rebbe tried to give us his lens and gave us that power of perception of possibility to see it from his lens as well. So that's the discussion over here. We get that place of God's presence in my life, specifically through humility, Kabbalah saw the yoke of heaven. So we said yesterday that that's experienced and expressed when we observe mitzvahs. We dedicate ourselves, that we do the mitzvah because commands us, and also we said many times, tzapta, the word tzav, also the word combining, joining, bonding, or bonded to the divine presence in our life. Every mitzvah is an opportunity for you to invite God into your home and not just be a squatter. He's comfortable. He's, you have a hospi the hospitality of God that is with you in the home, and it's a dearer for Hashem here in this reality as you do the mitzvahs. Yesterday we said, that when it comes to the observance of mitzvahs, how totally, mitzvahs that, that's the expression of humility, the bittel, the self-mitzvahs before doing mitzvahs. However, we said yesterday, when it comes to Torah study, that's more challenging. Because Torah study, you just can't do with Kabbalah. So, oh, or can you? Because Torah represents study, understanding, engaging your academics, your power of faculty of study and, and scholastic ability and achievements. You're trying to understand something. To learn Torah, the oral Torah, all the different parts of the Mishnah, the Talmud, the Shulchan Aruch, whatever we're studying in Torah, if you don't understand what's being taught, you're not really fulfilling the myths of Torah study. When it comes to the written Torah, we said before, there's a power of the energy of the essence of the words themselves, God's divine words, the written Torah. Someone gets an aliyah and does not know what the Torah reader is reading, still can make the blessing because there's a power and an efficacy in that because it's God's words. But the Torah, Sheba the oral Torah, which represents the wisdom of the sages, how they interpreted the Torah, that represents study, understanding, interpretation. You've got to understand that. And therefore, unless you understand, you really haven't fulfilled the midst of Torah study. So if that's what it's all about, so where do you see the selflessness in that? It's about me, my understanding, my study, my questions, my, 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 my desire to appreciate, understand more and more. So it's an expression of self. We're saying here the ultimate is the Yaakov, the disintegration of the seed that creates the potential for future growth and blossoming of the beautiful orchards. That's for mitzvahs, but for Torah, perhaps not. Says the Rebbe, that's not true. Torah, too, can be expression of this selflessness as well. If I can ask you to please to turn to page five. We're holding, I'll count the lines up from the bottom of the top paragraph. Well, eight or nine lines, excuse me, eight or nine lines up from the end of this paragraph. He made the Torah gufa, says the Rebbe. In Torah also, yes, there is also, lo rak inyan ha'havana v'hasaga, not just a study and the academics, which is a prerequisite. You've got to study the Torah. But guess what, says the Rebbe? The ultimate tool for success 
to be able to appreciate it as God's Torah, says the Rebbe, there also has to be that yoke of heaven that precedes and is very present even as you study Torah as well. The sense of whose words are these? Whose wisdom am I expressing? You have to appreciate the fact of let Torah teach you and you not teach the Torah. Let God's words come to you and flow to you by the selfless appreciation that every time you study the Torah, as the Talmud says, you have to try to recapture the Sinai moment. That here you are again at Sinai for the thunder and lightning and the beautiful expression of God that he came to the Jews at Sinai. Every time you study Torah, you have to prepare yourself as if you're rejoining God at Sinai. Back at that box seat, Hashem is speaking to you through this line of the Torah. It's God's words, it's God's wisdom. Let me, let me if I can, share with you a, a beautiful story. I said yesterday, that's why you came back with the story of Zusha of Anipal. I'll tell you a story of the great Sadiq of Zusha, contemporary of the Alter Rebbe, a student, a disciple of the Magad of Mizrich as well. The story goes is that the Magad well, had once met a great scholar of Torah, and we were talking in Torah, and he said that, I want you to go speak in Torah to my disciple, Rabbi Zusha of Anipal was then in Mizrich, they were together with the Maggid, the student, a disciple. And so, so the Maggid uh, sends this person to Reb Zusha Vanipola. Reb Zusha did not have a reputation as being the greatest Talmud Chacham, as being the greatest scholar of Torah. He was a great chassid, he was a tzaddik, a holy righteous man, but he wasn't known as being this great scholar in Torah study. But yet the Maggid, though bear of Mizrich, sends this person to him, to, to Reb Zusha, to learn Torah with him. He'll explain Torah to you. So he comes to the Zusha and he says, well, the Maggid sent me to you. Can you please explain me this piece of Gemara, this difficult piece of Gemara? And Zusha says to me, he sent you to me? He says, yeah. He says, okay, I need to prepare myself though. The Zusha goes into the room next door and he looks up to the heavens above and he says the following words. He says, Abishter, Abishter, help me. Listen to what he says. He says, Zusha will verstehen. Zusha wants to understand. Zusha will verstehen. And then all of a sudden he felt this appreciation of the subject matter come to him. And then he went ahead and taught the Torah to the other person as he was given to understand by Torah. What's the message? What did Zusha do? Very often people approach Torah study like other sciences, whereby you're coming from your identity your preconceived notions, how you understand the subject matter, and you're trying to fit in the words on the page to your appreciation of how you understand the subject. You're trying to fit it in to how you think it's supposed to be. Comes up, Zusha says, no, Zusha Glofashtein. Instead of you teaching the Torah, let the Torah teach you. That takes that selflessness. That's the Naseh before the Nishma. Appreciate the fact this is a higher wisdom, a divine wisdom that's not based, based upon not limited or defined upon your notions or how you think it's supposed to be. When you come with that context of identity, that arrogance won't allow you to fully delve into the depth of the Torah message. If you can come to the realization, I am at Sinai and God wants to speak to me, 10 commandments or this page of Gemara in any tractate, this Mishnah, any Parsha, any Chumash, any Rashi. God wants me to know this information. Zusha will farshtein. That humility that it takes to appreciate this is a powerful statement that shouldn't be limited to my preconceived notions, to how I think it's supposed to be. Let Torah teach you. Torah doesn't need you to teach it. It knows it already. 
It wants to teach you something. Come with that sense. I mentioned to you before about a story where like the great Mashpir, Rabbi Nissen from, from, from Neville and from, from France. I, I said this to you before many times as well. When he would learn a, a piece of Gemara or a din in Shulchan Aruch, he would always preface his statement is, some people say that God says the halach is like this. Others say that God says the halach is like this. And but the truth is, says the Shulchan Aruch, that God says this is the halacha. I have this opinion, that opinion. They're all expressing what God says. So when you're learning a halacha in Shulchan Aruch, looking, you're learning a, a piece of Gemara, Mishnah, or Tanya, or a Rashi with Chumash, try to appreciate the fact that what you're being taught is Hashem coming to you at Sinai, sharing with you divine information. That selflessness is the prerequisite to get to the full depth of Torah study. Otherwise, if it's coming from a state of self, and a sense of my own identity is a barrier. God's going to come to you, he'll be a squatter. You won't be the full beauty of his wisdom coming to you unless you have that sense of complete selflessness that represents the power of the divine, the wisdom of the divine, that's much more than my mind could have gone to. That's what the Rebbe is going to say over here. Zusha Dilfarstein. Let the word speak to you. Try to free yourself from your own sense of selfish identity and let the word just talk. Hear what's being taught to you, which is, by the way, an important thing whenever you engage any conversation. Allow people who you're talking to to share their thoughts and feelings and don't get in the way to try to be a barrier to their thoughts. Listen to what they have to say selflessly. Then all of a sudden, you'll open up new vistas of appreciation of the other person. And so God wants that same paradigm in Torah study. Hear what I have to say. Listen to this other perspective. Open yourself up to that. And that's what we say every day in davening. Three times a day, the good old-fashioned way. We say, My soul shall be so humble like the earth, the seed growing into the earth. And then, Open my heart to study your Torah. Here we go. It's not counterintuitive. We thought that the study of Torah, you have to engage your mind and your genius and your brilliant acumen of Torah, a study of academic excellence, and then I can get it? No. Nashi ka'afar, you say in davening every day. Ka'afar la'koltia, the seed in the ground. It's not about me. It's the wisdom of God that I need to internalize, acclimate, and appreciate. Let hear what the word has, what the word, what the words are, what he's telling me. Let's go back to the words. Let's go to the mimer. The zel gam klolas inyan dachdomis nasalanishma. That's why it's so important. We read when the Torah was given to the Jews at Sinai. What was the prerequisite that God wanted to hear? You know, the famous Megrish, God went to all of the nations and cultures that they wanted Torah. What was their question? Well, before I buy something, I need to study it. What is it about? They came to the Torah with the context of their human identities as a prerequisite before they received the Torah. And if you're going to tell me something I have to do that doesn't fit into my paradigm, into my how I see reality, then I don't want the Torah. And all the nations says, no, it's not for us. Go somewhere else. He came to the Jews, and the Jews said, Naaseh, we'll do. Eke, we'll study, because it's God's words. Zusha I need to understand. I need to have the words come to me. Let me try to free myself and divest myself of my own personality and identity. Let me free myself, because the words come to me, I'll jump off the page and into my soul. Because it's not about me, it's about God being invited in. It's God's words. That's the Hakdam of Naaseh before the Nishma. That's what that means. Let's continue the minor of holding well, six or seven lines from the bottom of the paragraph. Friend says the Rebbe, this is dafka the way that you're truly to come to the place of 
studying Torah to the truth of Torah. You aren't going to bias it. You're not going to have any biases or partialities looking at it from the lens of how you see things and it has to be this way because that's how you want to read it. So you project upon God your personality and your preconceived notions. Stop the projections. Let God come to you with the beauty and the purity of how he gave the Torah at Sinai to us every time you study Torah. This is exactly spoken about before about the seed that goes into the ground. Nashika afar. It's like the flourishing of a beautiful orchard of delicious fruits. Sheba that comes only the seed that has no taste. It's very hard to do that. When you come to study something, well, the way we study, we come with the knowledge of that I have, that I know, and I try to project that knowledge on the page, on the message coming to me from that page. But here we're saying, forget about that. Why don't just hear what God has to say? Free yourself, divest yourself. Then you become the seed, and guess what? You will see a flourishing of study, of understanding, of divine message, divine wisdom, divine understanding coming to you that's exponentially greater than anything you could have done on your own. Why? Because it's coming from the infinite capacity of God's sharing the information, not from the limited identity of your own self that gets in the way to the message from Hashem. Let's continue. Just like the, the and again, she'en botam. It's, so, it's, it's, it's hard to do that because I'm about studying. I need to bring my, my, my mind, my faculty to the picture. You do have to do that. But that's stage two. Stage one is, first of all, every morning, make a bracha. What's the bracha that we make? Baruch atah Hashem. What do we say? We don't say, nosan ha-Torah, that he gave us the Torah a couple thousand years ago. We say, baruch atah Hashem, nosan ha-Torah. He's giving it to me right now. This is a Sinai experience. We're going through the Sinai experience of the thunders and the lightning of God saying, I am the Lord your God. A little bit different words. It's a halacha in the laws of fasting, halacha of the laws of, of Shabbat, whatever the laws are. But it's God saying these words to no saying. He's giving himself to you. He's giving his wisdom to you. Allow that to be your possibility. And that's only the result of humility. Nashika afar, the tasteless seed into the ground. That's how the Jewish people began the journey into Egypt. The Yaakov level. That's the Mashiach of Yaakov, not the Mashiach of Esau. It's about himself, the charisma, pushing himself. No, no, no. Let it come from within. And that takes a lot of effort and diligence and humility. Let's continue. Kamesha Kasuf, as it says in the, this is a Pasuk quote in the Talmud, in the Gemara, it's tractate Shabbat, where it talks about the Sinai revelation event in great detail. The first reads, Tumas Yesharim Tanfein. The sincerity of the righteous ones will comfort them and lead them. But take that sincerity. And that's what the Jewish people said. Whatever God says we need to do, we'll do so. How do we understand that? That's secondary. Ichdar, I need, who's I and who am I to need? I need, I need, I'm not here but to serve my master. That paradigm of life, that humility, opens up vistas of possibilities of growing in your Yiddishkeit in relation with God and with other people that's exponentially greater. You will now access the context of the infinite and therefore you also have infinite potential of study and successful relationships. It says in the Gemara, that's where the Torah says, Yaakov takes root. Yaakov, not Yisrael, because Yisrael represents the splendor of the Jew being an officer over the angel of Esau, fighting wars and being victorious, that's another expression of the Jew that has its place and its place and identity. 
But in order to have the beginning process of successfully navigating Mitzrayim and becoming to fulfill and realize the potential of Yiddishkeit's possibilities, Torah's possibilities, Yaakov, the Akev, the Akev, the heel of the foot, the tasteless seed represents that bitl. The Indian Akabola soul, Shalzem Moira, the Shashrashas, Uzrias, Hagan, Shalim Baitam, for the sense of the yoke of heaven, by appreciating, appreciating the presence of God in your life. Now, most of us have a natural precondition that when someone says something, we want to respond reflexively, give right away back. That sense of the need to reflexively respond gets us into trouble 99% of the times. Whatever shame was something just in chapter 41 of Tanya. With the Alter Rebbe says over there in Tanya that you recognize and study about the presence of God in your life that you want to have and that is yours for the taking because the Kodesh Baruch's presence is true. God is right there by your acceptance, by your acceptance of that divine presence then all of a sudden, before we, you respond reflexively, you're, you're embarrassed. What would God want me to say right now? Because he's watching. He's part of this conversation. He's moved in. He's home with me. So saying something that's inappropriate, responding, as much as that's the default position of most people to do that, but Rebbe told someone in Yechidus once, a private audience, when you study that chapter of time, you appreciate the presence of God, you're embarrassed. How can I say that to that person? What that person said or did, that's that person's judgment. That's between him and, 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 and God. As far as your concern, your, your situation is concerned, you need not have a Kaddish Prophet as part of your presence, part of your identity and projection of life, expression of life. It's Hashem. So to say something that would be in violation of that higher reality, that higher perspective, you should be embarrassed to do that in Hashem's presence. That takes a lot of diligence. That takes to see myself as a seed that's planted into the ground, and it's not about me. It's it's not about me. It's not about God's words coming to me. Not the Yisrael, it's the Yaakov Dafka. This Kabbalah soul, which represents the sowing of a seed that's tasteless and disintegrates the seer Adam. We're in the person's humanity or anatomy. Where do you see this concept of dedication and selflessness? Akev, the heel of your foot. Not my seichel, my cup, my sensitivities, my senses of sight, sound, uh, a study, feeling in the heart. The heel of the foot has, is the most uh, coarse part of your body, you could say. There's a famous statement from the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. It's a lot easier to put the heel of your foot into a hot body, a hot mikveh, than your head into the mikveh. Because the head says, I'm not so, this is too hot for me or too cold for me. So the head thinks twice. I can't go in. It's too, it's too cold. Or it's too hot. And you think twice and you hesitate. You pause. I'll do it later. You procrastinate. But the bottom, the heel of your foot, it's the easiest part to go into a cold swimming pool. Just go right in. The heel of your foot goes right in. Why? Dedication. Suddenly, it doesn't have the, the commingling, as it were, of the sensitivities of self. It's less connected to nerves that allow it to be so connected to a point of, of disruption of what has to be done. Kabbalah soul is evidenced by the Akev. So Yaakov's very name represents Akev, selflessness, the bittle. Just do what you have to do. I'm asking you for letter and all the Hebrew letters, but guess what? It's the beginning point of all the Hebrew letters of the alphabet. 
Am I stable again? I think I'm unstable. Yeah, you dropped out when you said. Yeah, you froze for a minute. Left at ACAV, yeah. ACAV was on chill. Okay. Right. Let me try to get back where I said after that. Putting your foot in the water is easier than. It's a lot easier to put your, your foot into the water than your kepala. But my kepala things procrastinates. It gets all, I'm getting myself involved and I get in the way of myself. When things have to be done, just do it. Put the foot into the cold water, just jump in and make it happen. That's the foot into the water. And that's representative Torah. That's Yaakov. Yaakov is Yud Eikev, the heel of the foot. And then the Rebbe says, and Alter Rebbe says in Torah, or the Alter Rebbe says, that Yaakov is Yud Eikev. The letter Yud represents the smallest of the Hebrew letters. But guess what? It may be the smallest, but it's the nucleus and the point of origin of all the Hebrew letters. Any sofer, a Hebrew scribe, when he's writing a Torah, he can't write an aleph but it first starts with the letter Yud, or a base, or a gimel. He starts with the Yud, and then he magnifies it into the letter he'd like to write. But it starts with the Yud. So the smallest letter becomes the nucleus and the growth for all the letters. All conversation begins with humility. That's the letters of the Torah. Every letter, the 22 letters of the alphabet, in this Gavaldic, unbelievable. Any letter you want to write in Torah, any conversation you want to have, remember that in Hebrew, describe halachically, when he begins writing a letter, he starts with the smallest of letters, the Yud. That represents the pint of the Yid, the smallest Yid. The Yud is the Yid, that's you and me, the Yid. That, not, not the Yid of, of Freud, it's the Yid of, of, of the Alter Rebbe, of Tanya. The Yid, the, the Yid that represents the smallest letter, the humility that allows me to be so connected to a divine presence. Now you can have your conversation. You can say the letter Aleph or Beis or Gimel or Kuf or Resh. Everything starts with the Yud, you're good to go. You start with a level of Yud into the Akev. It goes right down to the bottom of my feet, the heels of my feet. That's Yaakov's name, Yud into Akev. You have that context of life. It says there, I guarantee you, that is the way that you'll see the flourishing and the blossoming of all your potential will be realized because it's God's part of your reality. God becomes your reality. And in that truth and that beauty and that splendor, everything is potentially going to happen to you as long as you make that invitation. So God is no longer a squatter. He's moved right in very happily, hospitably together with your identity. That is how we appreciate the Jewish journey into Mitzrayim. This week's Parsha, that the Jewish people come down. Yaakov comes down, Yud Eikev, brings it down to that level. So we have that sense of the ability to see the bigger picture because of my smaller picture. Okay, my friends, I think we'll continue Monday morning, same time, same station. We should be that today we should see before the end of the day, the end of the fast, the end of the sadness of the breach of the walls of Jerusalem, that the coming of Mashiach may be speedily in our days. Have a great day, eat fast, and a great Shabbos. Great Shabbos. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi. Looking forward to the Tanya class. I'm going to send that information later today, Mr. Shem. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Lisbon. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Have a good Shabbos and be well. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Amen. You too, Martha. Thank you. Have a good Shabbos, Rabbi. Shabbos, Marsha.